5, 5, 4, 4, 3, 3, 2, 1, 1, 1, 1. We have ignition. Strap in. You're tuned into the God Stories Radio Podcast. www.godstoriesradio.com. This is session 33. I'm Mike. I'm Fritz. And I'm Trish. Well, Fritz, how was your week? You know, it's been pretty crazy um, with my job, and we've been, you know, since Aubrey's healthy now, she's wanting to do things. Yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> it's crazy. 17 years old, absolutely. So I've, I'm ushering in a new time in, in our lives, I guess, with being healthy. You yeah. know, I don't really know house to explain it is the fact that it's now you have a healthy kid. life is normal right praise god yeah she couldn't even go swimming before right no thought, she couldn't oh go gosh. swimming you live in florida and you can't go swimming what? It, that is god awful yeah and not only that uh, what was really neat was the first time after she had gotten her port got in her southern word right there but uh she got her port out she i was able to baptize her Mm-hmm. At real life was the first time she'd been immersed in water in over 10 years. Mm-hmm. What a was, way to do it, too. Oh, well, man, was that a neat. That was neat. Mm-hmm. Really neat. I just want to give out our contact information real quick. If you have any prayer requests, um, you want to give your testimony, contact us at GodStoriesRadio at Gmail. Also on Twitter, you can tweet us at uh, God Stories Radio and Facebook.com slash God Stories Radio. Please send in all comments, requests, prayer requests, and we'll partner up yeah, with we'll you. Yeah, we'll read the prayer requests on the show. Yeah, and we'll be discreet. We won't mention your name. Thousands of listeners out there that will partner with us. and From around the world. From around the world that will be praying for you. So please don't hesitate. Do mm. it. Do it, do it, do it. Trish, you have something? Yeah, I just was going to say, I'm so excited that all these godly movies are coming out. Um, It's like we've infiltrated um, the secular movies, you know? They're coming out on the movies, so I'm really excited about that. One that's coming out, there's one that has Russell Crowe that's coming out about Noah, and I've heard a little bit of feedback on that. It's not so good, Um, but there's another movie that was put out by a christian called the noah noah the movie and you can find out about it at noahthemovie.com and it's coming out later this month and it'll be free on youtube it's noahthemovie.com i'm really excited about that because it gives it it's more biblically based than the hollywood noah movie and you thought we were just a uh, a testimonial radio show because you get your movie updates right here go. on God Stories Radio. And how many stars will you give that one? How many stars will you give that one? Uh, the Russell Crowe one, two stars. Oh. The Noah the movie, five stars. Yeah, Son of God, five stars as well, in my yeah, opinion. I've heard some, some critics about that, 
saying that it wasn't so good, but I'm just excited that we have God in a movie theater. Oh, amen. Like, you know, we have people that would not otherwise be touched, that would not otherwise hear anything about God that are showing up to movie theaters. Like I said, when we, when we went, and this was several days after it opened, there was a line of people waiting outside, and I just was ecstatic, ecstatic about that. So, Well, that's great. Well, we have a great guest this we evening, do. and I'm going to let you introduce him. All right. Um, as I walk and talk with God, I, you know, especially being a steward of the God Stories Radio, uh, always praying about, you know, who do you want to have on your show? Uh, to for an episode and I was praying and we were getting a little thin on uh, people we were going to have so I just started praying and I actually went out for a walk this day started walking in one direction and then I was going to turn around at a certain spot and kind of like double back and I was kind of like I don't know how do you want to say not forced but okay why don't you go a little further and and then I see another spot I eye another spot where I'm going to turn around and double back and I keep walking and then all of a sudden I take another right instead of a left and the next thing you know I'm walking all around uh, the uh, town of Montverde the whole way around and um, so I wanted to change and turn around and double back three different times and I ended up uh, going around and now I was down by the uh, academy I'm walking by and I see this guy sitting out in a golf cart on the parking lot and I started to think that uh, look at this guy he's probably giving them a ticket and uh, as I get up and even with him all of a sudden I hear my name yelled out and I look over and it's my friend Sam Scholar he told me that he was actually sitting there reading our guest's testimony on paper and it was on like the fourth page or whatever and as I see it, it looked like he was in tears so um, I take that as being uh, Jim Brown is our guest and I take it that God wanted Jim Brown to be uh, on the air and have his testimony told for the whole world to hear yeah so Jim it's uh, it's yours take it away I uh, thank you for having me um, just a what Sam was reading was actually not my testimony, which I would like to get on paper. It was actually just the account of my 9-11 day when I was a, a fireman in New York. I had just started to write it down actually the, the week that I got baptized um, and just started typing and typing and ended up with about either 14 or 16 pages worth, and it was really only from sun up to sundown. The, the testimony would probably be longer once I get it on paper. But um, I definitely want to do it, if for nothing else, for my kids, which you is could, the same reason I got the 9-11 thing down. You could maybe turn it into a book. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I have had more than a few people tell me that, but um, I couldn't possibly fathom a book from me or anybody wanting to buy it. <laughs> well, Spirit just told me that and laid it out, so. We'll Mikey's see. always told me, never say never. I know. I, I've come to realize that, too, especially... Uh, with God, nothing is impossible, and I'm continually amazed. Um, but as far as uh, the uh, movie reviews, I think instead of stars, you should use halos. Halos, I like that. That's a great idea, Jim. I was gonna, I was going to jump in and interrupt when you were doing it, but I, said, hey, I haven't been introduced yet, so let me just keep my mouth shut. <laughs> Rex did it last week. Oh yeah, he jumped right in on the movie review last week. <laughs> but I guess it's uh, all to me now, huh? 
It's go time, Jim. It's yours. Okay, let me see if I can uh, get this down here. Um, about me, uh, my story is basically I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I was raised by a single mom, grew up with my sister. She's actually my half-sister on my mom's side. And uh, my mom raised us without any kind of background in religion or anything. I was baptized Catholic. That was done to appease my grandmother. Um, my mom had to go to Catholic school, and she was abused by the nuns. So that's why she decided to raise my sister and I without any religion. Uh, she always said that my mom, when I questioned her, she would always say, you guys can decide when you're old enough. And as I grew up, it just wasn't a priority. I didn't have a background. The only background I had about religion was the Catholic Church. A few times that I went, I was in the Boy Scouts for a short time, and you kind of went there a little bit and um, just really had no knowledge of um, God or anything related to him. So growing up in the world, um, I did a lot of stupid stuff, did a lot of... Uh, Things I shouldn't have done as a kid, I ended up dropping out of high school. When I, I actually took a test to get into one of the most prestigious public high schools in New York, and I ended up dropping out my junior year, not even my senior year. Wow. Um, I was just cutting class too much and hanging around with the wrong crowd. My It was funny because I, I told my mom, I says, I dropped out. She says, don't you need my permission? I says, you already gave it. I, I signed your signature. <laughs> No. <laughs> I did it over the phone. That's funny. <laughs> it didn't go over too well, but it was already a done deal. So from there, <clears throat> I uh, worked for a little bit, and then I went in the Marine Corps when I was 18. Um, I quickly realized that I was heading down a path that I didn't necessarily want to go down. I looked at all the friends that I was hanging around with, kind of mapped out their routes in life, and didn't like where they were ending up and realized I was going to end up in the same place. Right. Um, so I kind of needed to do something. I never had, my dad was pretty much absent in my life. Um, so I, I knew I needed some kind of discipline. Uh, kind of felt like I needed to learn how to be a man. And I figured Marine Corps was the best place to do it. Almost didn't get in there because they were phasing out GEDs. And I remember talking to a recruiter. He says, well, we're, we're trying to get rid of GEDs. Why don't you go next door to the Army? And not to disparage the Army, but my mindset was if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. So if you're not going to take me, I'm not going to the military. Thankfully, I, I test very well. Um, I, was, I wasn't stupid, but I was stupid. So um, I just did stupid things. So I tested well, and they ended up taking me in and uh, listened to the recruiter. Had no idea about quotas. Uh, so I, instead of being the uh, MP that I wanted to be, because mm -hmm. when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a cop, a Marine, and a fireman. So I figured I killed two birds with one stone. And uh, he talked me out of it because quotas MPs fill up fast because everybody wants to be an MP mm. and I didn't know anything about that because I was dumb in 18 so I listened to him they sent me an open contract and they made me a cook and sent me to an infantry <laughs> battalion so I got the best wow. of both worlds so I'd have to get up at three o'clock in the morning cook go hump a pack with everybody else go back cook um, but it, it it all worked out um, I never thought about cooking for a living which is what I did after I got out so I enjoyed it and uh Made a living doing it before I became a, a cop up in New York. Uh, that was about 1992 that I became a cop. And while I was a rookie walking a foot post, I met my wife. When I met her, uh, my frame of mind was I'm just looking to have fun and wasn't looking for anything serious long term. And here I am, gosh, over two decades later. Wow. So um, we started dating. Um, I was a cop for nine years. 
And uh, Shirley was always, a, she was a lifelong Christian. She was brought up in a Christian faith. In the beginning, it, it really wasn't an issue because we were just dating and we didn't really think it was going to be something that was long term. We certainly didn't think we would be married with two kids and you know, living in a house here in Florida. Uh, we, we're still amazed by that. So we kind of skirted those, those issues, but as we got more and more serious and we were dating long term and we knew we were going to get married at some point, um, it started to become an issue mm-hmm. and we would have the discussions. And she wasn't really grounded in her faith. She was brought up in it. We would have discussions, and she wanted me to give my life to Christ, and she thought it was her job to save me. So we would have these discussions, and I says, you really want to go down this road? I said, I'm I'm Irish, so I like to argue. It's just in me. So we would have discussions back and forth, and I would challenge her as far as her beliefs. I said, well, why do you believe that? I took it to the extreme. I went so far as to tell her that she was brainwashed. Um, (laughs) That didn't go over too well. She was out of the church when we met, um, for a whole bunch of reasons, but and that's her testimony. I'll let her tell it one day. Um, but we, after we were dating for for several years, she ended up getting back into church, and she went to a non-denominational Christian church. She was mm-hmm. raised in Pentecostal, um, so she started to really form a relationship with God. And she had a really good pastor up in New York. In New York and her pastor told her one time about me being saved. Um, he basically told her, "Listen, you got to stop playing Holy Ghost Junior." Um, just leave and be, and it's for God to do, not for Let you. God work on it, right? And that was like a, a really big switch um, where I, I stopped feeling like she was trying to push me mm-hmm. um, into, you know, doing something, and she was leading by example more, which it, it just made me look at it entirely differently. You know, we uh, ended up getting married in 1999, and... We, uh, I, in 2001, I left NYPD because I was there for nine years, and I went to the fire department, and that was May of 2001. She didn't want me to go. Shirley says, it's dangerous. I said, well, they put me down lower Manhattan. There's no fire duty down there. It's not the ghetto, so, you know, things aren't burning all over the place. There's standpipe systems, and she kind of placated her a little bit, but she really didn't believe it. Um, I did. Uh, so, you know, the morning of uh, 9-11, when that hit, uh, we had just got back from a transformer fire, and we were waiting for the change of shifts at 9 o'clock. So we were standing there. The apparatus doors were open, and it was a beautiful day. Some guys were out on the apron. Um, you know, it was tons and tons of people going to work. And I remember hearing uh, the plane coming. It was, like, really low and really fast. I was like, that's odd. So, you know, I've been at the airport, and you've heard planes... Um, you know, close to you, but they were always decelerating. Mm-hmm. This was accelerating. Mm-hmm. And just as soon as it kind of registered, um, so wow, it's like going fast and it's really close. One of the guys in the apron says, you know, uh, it's going to hit, it's going to hit the Twin Towers. And I thought me being a probie, new guy, that they were just looking to get a rise out of me and see what kind of reaction I would get, or they would get. And with that, I stood up. I was on house watch. I stood up to go out so I could see. And just as I stood up, the plane hit the North Tower, the first plane. And all I felt was a, like a concussion wave just go through my body and everything else. Watch the plate glass windows just kind of vibrate. I was waiting for them to break. And it just went into, oh, crap mode. Mm-hmm. Um, the blinders went on. You just kind of reverted back to your training. 
Right. We sat on the alarm, got dressed, got on the rigs, and I just remember, I, I looked out on the apron uh, right after it hit, and I remember looking up, and all you saw was a huge fireball. And then all the debris started raining down, um, and I could actually feel the heat from all the jet fuel. And you know, then you got dressed, you got on the rigs, and as we're pulling out with the rigs, it's just dozens and dozens of people just pouring into the firehouse to get away from the debris. Um, we pulled out. We went around a corner, and it was, you know, literally we could have ran there. That's how, because we were right across, my firehouse was right across the street from the Trade Center. And uh, we went into the North Tower, and we had no idea what else was happening um, once we were inside. Uh, but before we got, before we got in the stairwell and were cut off from the rest of the world, so to speak, um, I remember going into the building inside the lobby. There was a little foyer, and it was all glass and everything, but you had to walk into a doorway and then the foyer make a left and go into another doorway before you got into the full lobby and I remember there were a couple of burn victims there and one of them was clearly still alive but in a lot of pain and I had to step over her in order to get inside the building and I was on an engine an engine we did emergency uh, medical calls as well as oh. fire suppression calls but that particular day we're there for fire suppression we're not there for medical calls and I had to just remind myself that I was there for the a medical uh, thing and it took everything I had to step over that person that needed help um, it's just not a normal human reaction to just walk away from somebody who's in need um, so it, it was tough and I remember thinking how did this person first of all survive the fall from the plane um, uh, but not only that, how did she get inside the building and not outside the building? And afterwards, when I had time to you know, slow down and think about everything after uh, I had gotten home and whatnot, uh, the jet fuel came down the elevator shafts and blew out the lobby. And looking back, it was like, oh, that made sense because as I walked in the lobby, it didn't register at the time, but I saw um, marble, which was at least an inch thick, if not more, on the walls. It was just cut in half, and half of it was off, and half of it was on. It was just wow. a big fireball that came out of the elevator shafts and just blew everything out. Um, but things were happening so fast, you didn't have time to process Register. all of that right, right. at the time it was happening. So we ended up in the stairwell uh, at some point, and the lobby was just pure chaos. Um, there was firemen were pouring in, cops were pouring in, and it was just very loud. And before we actually got in the stairwell, you started hearing the jumpers hit. Um, mm -hmm. So at first it was like, what was that? Because they would hit the canopy outside, and the canopy was like kind of all glass. And then you realize it was bodies coming down. And then you start thinking, I'm getting ready to climb up to where they're jumping from. Um, and they're jumping to their death because mm -hmm. of the other death that they would have to suffer. And you know, that starts playing on your mind, but... Uh, I guess thankfully things were happening so fast you didn't really have time to dwell on it. But once we got into the stairwell, the fire stairwell, it was a totally different world. Everything was quiet, calm. It wasn't a typical fire stairwell because it was a bi-state agency that were allowed to get away with stuff. So it was a very narrow staircase. It was literally one line up and one line down. So it was cops and firemen going up and civilians coming down on the other side of the staircase. And as we're going up, uh, civilians were breaking into the vending machines and taking the waters and they were handing us the waters. We would hand, we would walk a few people and hand the water back to the civilians because, you know, they're thinking, you guys need it more. We're thinking, no, we're here wow. to save you. you. 
you need it more. Um, so I don't think anybody drank any water that day. Uh, <laughs> and then what, what got to me personally was, it still gets me, uh, the words of encouragement that the civilians were, it was like, you know, God bless you. You guys got a tough job. Um, but just uh, people, you know, caring enough to actually verbalize um, good luck and, and stuff like that. It was, yeah, it was amazing. Um, so we kept going up. Uh, one of the one of the guys in my company was a little bit old. He was having uh, felt like he was having chest pains on the way up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of like straggling to the back, just making sure he stayed with us. Um, and then we were paired up with another engine company. And one of the guys in the other engine company was seriously having chest pains where he thought he was having a heart attack. We stopped a couple times. Was that uh, because of all the steps that yeah, we were having? Yeah, we're carrying climb? in excess and of 100 pounds of gear, too. Um, you know, encapsulated in bunker gear. So it's not, you know, you're not really uh, sweating and, and cooling off. You're just sweating and getting drenched. Right. So we kept taking rests every, you know, uh, like 10, 15, 20 floors. Um, so at one point, the second time we stopped for this guy from the, the other engine company, uh, his lieutenant had uh, said, all right, we're going to wait for EMS to get here, the medics, so they can take him down because they really thought he was having a heart attack. Uh, so he says, okay, we're, we're going to go up because our lieutenant had jackrabbited up ahead of us before we ever got in the stairwell, and he was at least uh, probably uh, 20 floors above us, I think. Um, and we had just made radio contact with him. And we said, all right, we're going to go up and meet him. And they stayed there and waited. And I found out later on, after everything was said and done, uh, the, uh, the guy from the other engine company, he had a pulled chest muscle. I was like, okay. Um, and, and it ended up that pulled chest muscle saved our life because we had gotten delayed. We only ended up in about the 20s, and we didn't get any higher than that when the South Tower came down. And at this point, we didn't even know that South Tower got hit. Right. Uh, we were getting garbled radio transmissions because the radios didn't work inside the corridor building. So we had heard uh, a partial transmission about a third plane. And I remember thinking, these guys can't even count. So talking about a third plane. So when the South Tower came down, we thought it was another plane hitting our building, our, the North Tower. So we thankfully, we were all on the same page. Um, and we said, all right, it's time to get out of here. We dropped everything and just the police, because um, they, they ran a different radio system with a central dispatcher. Uh, so they knew that there was an evacuation, evacuation order. Fire department, we never got it. Um, some of us did, most of us didn't. And uh, on the way down, we passed a lot of other fire companies that were saying, hey, where are you guys going? Mm. Then you kind of felt like a coward. Um, we all looked at each other and they said, thankfully we're on the same page. If one of us would have said, no, we're staying, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. Right. Um, because all those guys that I passed that either kept going up or stayed pat, um, they're all dead. So, because right after we got out was when the tower came down. And on the way down, I ended up getting separated from my company. So I got out on a plaza level. And uh, I remember when I got out, I saw a line of people at the doorway of the lobby. And they would open the door, they would look up, and then they would run. And just to the north of the North Tower was one of the smaller black buildings that had an overhang. So you were kind of protected from the debris and the bodies coming down. So you were running and making a mad dash for that overhang. Okay. And when I got to the door, I'm like, right. I just kind of like looked up and did the motion. I didn't even look to see if there's anything coming or any bodies coming. And I just ran as fast as I could. And once I got to the overhang, I was like, you know, it felt safe. like you were relatively safe. 
Um, but before I got out, somebody, one of the, a supervisor from whatever agency, I don't even know. Um, but he says, we still have a few civilians straggling out. Because mo- by then, it was just first responders for the most part. Um, he wanted us to form a human line around Six World Trade, that smaller black building, so we can direct a few stragglers out. So I stayed there for a little while. I was the first person everybody was running towards. And I just remember all the debris and the bodies falling. And you could hear it coming down. Um, and it would just explode on impact. And it would explode into this gray dust, which I had no idea at the time where it came from because I didn't know about the South Tower coming down. I knew everything looked different from when I went up. Just had no idea, no frame of reference of why or what it was. Um, but it, it, I really just felt like it was um, in a movie. You know, after a few came down, it was just like, I'm out of here. I, I got to get out of here. And uh, took a couple steps, and that's when the North Tower came down. And it just sounded like a freight train coming towards me. And as all the air got pushed out, all the air just started blowing on me, and I had no idea what was going on. Um, so the only thing I had time to do or could think of to do was get into the fetal position, face Six World Trade Center, so my back was facing the North Tower, and to the right of me was a, a, a big support beam which supported the overhang. So I had protection on my right, protection on my back in the form of my Scott Pack, and then you know the front I was facing the building, so the only thing exposed was my left side. And as the building came down, everything started cascading towards me, and I started getting hit with debris. I'm like, ouch, that hurt. Next thing it came, I was like, ah, that was a little bit bigger. That hurt a little oh. bit more. And then I felt myself starting to get buried. I felt it on my ankles, then up to my knee, then up to my hips. I'm like, it's like, man, this stuff's just not going to stop. Um, and then it got up to my torso. And that was about the time that I realized I'm going to die. And then my mind started racing towards, well, What's it going to be like? Am I going to suffocate? Am I going to starve to death? Am I going to die of dehydration? How long am I going to be buried for? When you know? Then I started thinking about my wife, who never wanted me to go to the fire department to begin with. I thought, I'm going to leave her a widow. I'm like, man, Shirley's going to be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it was tough. Um, I thought about how they were going to find me when they dug me out. So they're going to find me in a fetal position. I can't have that. <laughs> so that that's what prompted me to stand up. So let me see if I could stand up. Really? And as I stood up, I, I really expected either a big hunk of concrete or a steel I-beam to come and either crush me or cut me in half. So, well, at least that'll be a quicker death because I still had resigned myself to that this was the day I was going to die. Um, stood up and nothing hit me. And thankfully, everything that I was buried in was not compacted to the point where I couldn't move so I started shaking my legs I said, let me see if I can move this stuff and I noticed in front of me the windows of Six World Trade Center were busted out so, so I'm, I can get my legs free and I just dove head first and as I'm diving I said well there's six or seven sub levels basement levels to this thing I don't even know if there's a floor there I don't know if I'm going to be falling a few stories before I stop but hey I'm dead anyway right uh, thankfully I got hung up just below the windowsill level I was on my back facing up, so everything that was kicking over was just going into my face and my mouth and my nose. And then the, uh, the collapse stopped shortly after that. Um, but everything was turned off. There was no light, no sound. Um, I, my heart was beating a mile a minute. I could feel it. I couldn't even hear it. I couldn't hear myself breathe. Um, I tried to, took my gloves off and I tried to get the stuff out of my mouth, all this uh, dust and debris. And I couldn't even spit it out. I had no saliva whatsoever. 
So I just started scraping it off my tongue, just trying to get it out. And I couldn't see anything. Uh, everything was just so blacked out. I couldn't breathe. Uh, everything was, you know, you took a breath and all that fine dust was going down into your lungs and just burned. So I, uh, I still had my air tank on. Took my face piece, shook it out, and I tried to take a hit of air, but it forced the fine dust down even more. So I said, well, let's leave this on the side, and I just took shallow breaths. Try to catch my bearings. Slowly, I could start to see light coming out. And as I started seeing the sunlight, I had no idea if I even had a building above me now. I, said, I don't know what happened. I thought it was a partial collapse of the North Tower. Um, and then once everything started to settle, I realized there was two Port Authority cops that were helping a civilian about six feet away from me when everything started coming down. And when everything was said and done, one cop was there, one cop wasn't. The civilian was buried up to his waist in debris. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out what just happened. And all I wanted to do was just get out of there. Uh, we helped the civilian out. Um, then I went out to street level to try and get something to pull him through all the debris. And it was, it was tenuous. When I got down to street level, it, all I saw was cop cars crushed, fire trucks burning, not a soul out. And I said, what just happened? And, and all this dust all over the place. And all you think of is it looks like a nuclear winter. The wind blown with papers and dust. Uh, eventually made my way out to Broadway to where they had a new command post. And I still had no idea the scope of everything. I'm, I kept looking back thinking the towers were still there. And I says, well, they're not going to fall straight down like they did. As they're going to topple like dominoes. So I don't know which direction. I don't know how many streets it's going to encompass. So I just got to keep walking. And I kept walking until I saw bodies, saw people. Um, and then uh, ended up getting triaged. Hung around there for several hours just waiting to figure out what, every, you know, what we were doing. And when I dove into Six World Tracer, I had lost my helmet. So I saw, I bumped into one of the guys from Proby School on recall, and he says, hey, what happened to you? I'm covered in dust. I tell him what happened. And he said, what happened to your helmet? Said, I don't know. And I was in shock. And he said, did you get hit in the head? I have no idea. So he grabbed a nurse, told the nurse what happened. She asked me a couple questions, and next thing I know, she threw me in an ambulance, and I was on my way uptown to Cornell Medical Center. And I was, I was fighting, but, you know, it, I was just so shot and spent. Uh, there wasn't much fight left in me. Got up there and started feeling a lot worse right off the bat because now the door is open to the ambulance and there's a gauntlet of doctors and nurses who have nothing to do. Because it was pretty much you either survived or you didn't. There really wasn't a whole lot in between. They threw me in a, a wheelchair. I said, no, I can walk. And they kept pushing me down. And finally, I just said, okay, do whatever you want. Got me inside, and, uh, you know, they, they did the whole workup and everything. And once they were done, I called my wife, let her know uh, where I was. I, had, I, had, I skipped over that, too. I had actually called her from inside the towers on the first break that we took. I told her, because I, I was working the night before on a 24-hour shift, so I wasn't home. So I knew she'd be going to work, and she'd hear about the plane. And uh, didn't want her to worry. I says, I'm all right. We're inside. We're waiting to go up higher. She heard we're waiting to go in. Um, so, you know, you kind of, your mind plays tricks on you. You hear what you want to hear. And, uh, you know, she came in, uh, later on, she, uh, she came and got me. Um, I'd called her three times that day, once inside the building, once shortly after I got out and then up at the, the medical center. And, uh, she came and got me quick. <laughs> she made her way up there. Um, then we went back home and, uh, you know, dealt with the after effects of that for a while, PTSD symptoms and stuff like that. And thankfully I had... When I was a cop, I was involved with the peer counseling 
organization. Um, so I had training and what to look for. So I was able to, you know, after after the trade center, my my wife Shirley thought that that was going to be my moment where I gave my life to Christ. But I had a lot of anger issues after that. Um, this is how can that if there's a God, how can He let all of these good people die? Um, you know, her cousin worked for Cantor Fitzgerald, and he died. Um, I had a, a good friend who was a cop with me, and he went to the fire department before I did, and um, he died. He was a Marine also. There's a lot of parallels in our lives. He was a Marine. He survived the Beirut bombing. And that's, I, you know, I just couldn't and then couldn't and grasp that. And it's like, you let him come over here to die, and, you know, he was a great guy. Give you a shirt off his back. Um, and he was finally getting engaged, finally getting married, and mm. everything was cut short. So it was, I had to work through all of that. And if anything, it just kind of solidified my non-belief uh, more than anything kind of kind of like that um, but at the same time I felt myself searching for something I had no idea what it was um, I remember coming home one day uh, and in our in our neighborhood we had this huge huge uh, Catholic church um, and I remember coming home off the uh, off the train walking towards my my house and I remember passing it and I'm like let me just duck in here I felt led to go in there so i went in sat down one of the pews and because i'm in uniform one of the priests come up and sat next to me and is consoling me and talking to me and i remember by the time i got up and left this is whatever i was searching for wasn't there i just didn't feel it um so i was okay i, I gave it a shot and that's it um but uh then while we was you know doing cleanup they had the, the little church down there um i think it was saint paul's but they pretty much opened it up to all the rescue workers um and that's where we went for coffee they had massage things set up there and you know we'd just be able we'd be able to get away from but when i was in saint paul's chapel i felt comfort and i didn't know why and i didn't know what it was from but i felt calm peaceful and you know looking back that's what i was searching for it was god but i didn't know it um, because i was denied i was too busy denying them so Mm-hmm. I was. I would be searching for something that you're denying. Uh, so it was a little weird, uh, and, and I couldn't quite grasp it. After everything was done, just kind of went on living our lives. Um, it was just Shirley and I. We didn't have any kids at the time, and we traveled a lot. We enjoyed each other a lot, and it, we started to get to the point where kind of looking at kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2006, uh, my son was born. And it just so happened that was about that I had retired from the fire department early because I hurt my shoulder in a fire a year, about a year and a half prior. Had surgery, went bad, so they were just kind of processing me out. And I ended up retiring the same time my son was born. So I stayed home with him. My wife went back to work. She worked in a hospital, busy emergency room. And uh, I said, well, we're done, so I don't have to stay inside the city. And I said, let's go. Where are we going? Because I didn't want to raise my son in New York City. And... We kind of narrowed it down between uh, Central Florida and Central Jersey. Central Florida went out for, I mean, just by a smidgen um, (laughs) because she had a lot of family moving down here at the same time. Mm. And my mother-in-law came down with us, so we felt she'd be less isolated here than there. And uh, we came down to look at houses, and we actually... There were some things my wife said, I'll move only if my mother comes. Mm. My mother in law said, I'll move, but only if I have a certain setup. I'm like, oh, how am I going to do this? <laughs> <laughs> so we came down for a week to look at houses and couldn't find anything. And the last day that we were here, 
our real estate agent brought us to a place that we weren't looking at in Winter Garden um, because I, I kind of did my search from the school systems out and then looked at builders. Uh, so he took us to an area which I hadn't researched yet, and we actually had seen this development the day before on the 429. We saw the tile roof houses, and we loved those, but we couldn't find out who the developer was. So we kind of just wrote it off, and uh, we pull in the back way to this, and it's like, hey, this, this is what we were looking at yesterday. This is that place. Yeah. And the model home was exactly what we needed for my mother-in-law. And from there, it just took uh, convincing my wife and my mother-in-law to finally just make the move. They don't do well with change. Um, so they agreed to come down and give it a try, which for me, I thought that meant like a year, a year and a half. For them, it was like, you know, four months, six months. Right. <laughs> Looking back, this is all God's doing because the way he led us to Florida, the way he led us to this house... Um, and the way the setup was, uh, that's where we were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we ended up coming down, and we moved in 2007. And as we're getting settled in, the New York cell numbers are 917. So my wife went to go call somebody from New York, or New York cell phone, and she accidentally dialed 911. It's uh, It goes to Winter Garden PD. And they pick up, and you know, she she just immediately hung up. So they call they her back. back. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what they did. And she goes, "No, no, no, everything's okay." And you know, she's like, "Well, the dispatcher says we still have to send a car out." Uh, the the police officer came, knocked on the door. We chatted for a little while. I had one of my New York Fire Department shirts on, and we still even weren't, weren't even unpacked yet. We had boxes all over the place. And he had mentioned real life. He went there. He went to real life at the time. The church. And. Uh, you know, my wife was wanting to find a home church, um, but he mentioned it, and she was interested and intrigued by it, but we never really... It kind of sat there, and we lived our lives again. Um, and Shirley was getting uh, more grounded in her faith and getting closer to God, and I was just living my life. I, uh, and at some point, she ended up going to work at Health Central for a little while, shortly before I started working for the sheriff's office, and uh, she was registering this couple who turned out to be it was his cop and his wife she was there to give birth and you know it was almost like god said well yo you didn't catch the hint the first time so here he is again again right so they started chatting it up again and he mentioned real life again he doesn't do that does he i i I need the two by four (laughs) wow that's amazing And that's something, Mikey. Right, a two-by-four upside the head. Two-by-four upside the head. You haven't heard that on the sessions, but that's what they always call it, too. (laughs) But uh, once she got that that second um, uh, confirmation uh, about real life, Mm -hmm. she was kind of determined to – because she was really feeling the need to find a home church down here. Uh, And so I had went with her to a couple of churches and was just, uh, I don't know about this, honey. (laughs) Um, if wife's not happy, husband's not happy, uh, and she wasn't comfortable going to church churches by herself to check them out. So I just well, let's. Yeah. At the time, I was working nights, nights and weekends. So I would get off work Sunday morning, um, six o'clock, seven o'clock, go home, shower, change, and then load up the kids and take everybody to church. Um, but we kind of made it into a routine where we go to IHOP first, have breakfast. Um, I forget how old my kids were at the time, but Andrew, actually Andrew was just getting ready to start pre-K three, like the following fall. So we started in the spring of 2010, I think. And uh, I figured it would 
serve two purposes. One, Shirley could get grounded in a church, and two, um, I get my son used and acclimated to going into a classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my plan was to go with him into the classroom. No, no, he needs daddy. Just we got to ease him in. <laughs> Can't just do a cold turkey. So that would get me out of the preaching. <laughs> so we did that for a little while. Then he was at, he got acclimated way too fast. <laughs> um, so I was sitting in uh, worship with my wife. We drop him off. Uh, but now, now we had my daughter. So she's an infant. We don't want to, we don't want to put her into the, you know, the infants just yet. She knew that I was outside in the lobby, still hearing the service, right? Hearing the sermon, hearing the word, and she, you know, she has she's told me over the years since uh, that she would hear a good message, and on the way home, she's waiting for me to have my two by four moment. Mm-hmm. And say, oh, now I'm going to give my life, life right. to Christ, and she was so disappointed on so many occasions. When <laughs> how'd you like the how'd you like the sermon? That was okay. Yeah, <laughs> but I I actually did enjoy it. Um, I found myself enjoying the worship music because the, the music's, for the most part, the genre that I like. That kind of got me hooked. And then the preaching kind of got me hooked because, you know, Justin would just, this is like a Christian comedy show. I'm like, yeah, it's cool. I can deal with right. this. <laughs> so uh, I, I felt, I just felt that the, the urge to keep coming back. I was like, all right, it wasn't, there's no pretense. Um, even when I was sitting out in the lobby with my daughter, there were a couple times where Justin wasn't preaching. And he would be walking around, and you know, you kind of feel like, all right, this is lead pastor, he's going to come up to me and try and you know get that that two by four moment, um, and get one in the wind column. And uh, there was no pretense there; he mm-hmm. would just talk to me normal and everything. So I was like, okay, cool. Um, Shirley ended up becoming a member of the church like the following year, and I felt kind of awkward because mm, now I can't be a member. I'm like, mm, I wanted to serve because I'm getting some benefit from the church, but kind of could serve because I don't believe um, so we just kept coming and everything was good for me at least up until uh, probably August of 2011 and that's when God really really started hitting me with two by fours uh, he started putting so many people in my path that I couldn't avoid and it was a lot of things that were just out of the blue um, like it was coming up on the 10th anniversary of 9-11 so I had my I'm on the HOA board in my community I had my my community manager at the time uh, asked me if I would speak at his church in Apopka. I was like, John, you, you know I'm an atheist, right? He goes, yeah. I said, well, what could I possibly talk about <laughs> at a church? <laughs> so I, I kind of politely declined because it was just way too uncomfortable. And the funny thing is that I've spoken about 9-11 in so many different forums and venues over the years um, that I don't have a problem talking in front of people, especially about that. But it was just the, the, um, the setting. The setting just kind of threw me for a loop, and I was like, I don't think I can do that. Then right after that, another person asked me to speak at their church. And this was a pastor of a church in Okoe, who our sons happened to go to pre-K together in Foundation Academy. So uh, he asked me, and I said, well, this is kind of weird. Uh, somebody else just asked me to speak at their church. And I was like, eh, I don't know. Let me sit on it for a little while. Um, and I think it was just before that he had uh, let me bump into a... a beautiful beautiful woman mary ganster i was going to mail something back from ups and and winter garden and as i'm walking out with a like an out-of-state fire uh, t-shirt on because i got a thousand of them um she's walking past me to go mail something and she asked me hey are you a fireman i said no in a previous life and i just kept walking but she wouldn't let me go and she just kept talking to me talking to me 
her and her husband run this organization called Operation Safety 91. And it's basically their mission is to love on first responders and military. Wow. They pr- uh, print up Psalm 91 cards and they mail them all over the world um, so that these guys have you know, knowledge of God's protection over them. And she just kept talking to me and talking to me and talking to me. She would not let me go. Um, so we, we kept in touch, especially when she found out that I was a fireman from New York and the whole 9-11 connection. But we kept in touch. And, and in context with all these, these people, um, I start, started feeling like I was being led down the path to Christ. And I was like, I don't know, this is a little odd. Um, the week before... Actually, in real life, two weeks before 9-11, 9-11 fell on a Sunday that year. Two weeks before 9-11, we didn't go to church because one of our kids was sick. And that was the week that they announced that Mark Nogler was going to be back on stage the following week, the week before 9-11. When he came out on stage, it was kind of like threw me for a loop. And the reason it was kind of important to me was I remember when uh, they had made the announcement that he was going to be pulling back because of his... Uh, uh, inappropriate relationship and they had the his video up there apologizing to the church and all the elders out on stage i remember my shirley my wife telling me i've never seen this in a church before um so she was you know pleasantly surprised that everything was out in the open like this and uh one of the things for me that i gave to god was all right because they, they said he's gonna try and you know restore himself and he'll be back i told god i says all right you restore him then i know you're real um, you put you get him back there up there on stage, and you know I'd seen him at different venues. We went to uh, the, the um, was it child child rearing class or parenting. whatever parenting Real class. Parenting. Thank you mm-hmm. for some reason it was escaping me. Um, but you know I saw him go through this this process of restoration, um, but when I saw like the the end effect, it was just powerful, and it was powerful to me because. I was unfaithful to Shirley very early in our marriage um, one time, and I had carried that with me for over a decade. I had never come clean to her. I had, um, she knew something had happened, but it was just before 9-11, and she was trying to get answers, and then 9-11 happened, and then you know, dealing with the PTSD, she, she kind of just let it go, and then it became the big white elephant in the room after that, so it was never, it was never discussed really in depth after that and it just kind of stayed there and she got to the point where she truly forgave me um, but I still didn't come clean so for me to see him restored was very powerful and it was you know kind of like the cherry on the cake uh, and especially when I wasn't expecting it because we had missed the week before so we're sitting there and all of a sudden it comes out I'm like yeah or God's talking God's to me now like, let me show you this yeah like- so that following Tuesday, I was supposed to take a ride up to New York to go get a steel eye beam for the city of Winter Garden with uh, three other friends. And on the ride up is when I, I typed up that 9-11 piece that Sam was reading. Mm-hmm. And also on the way up, I reached out to Dave Mendo because he was the one that reached out to me and says, hey, you know, we did the, uh, the membership uh, meeting. Discovery and since only. I didn't become a member, they kind of follow up. So he was the only contact I had. And uh, I said, hey, Dave. Uh, thinking about getting baptized <laughs> so but even I, I still couldn't just make the, the leap of faith I still had to give um, obstacles I said I want to get baptized but it's got to be this Sunday on 9-11 it's got to be the 9 o'clock or the 9.30 service and it's got to be either Pastor Justin or Mark Nogler that baptized me 
because those were the two they will jump through your hoops brother that's what those, i love about real life <laughs> they were the two main reasons that i felt that i kept coming back so i'm like all right this is the main connection and i says all right god do that dave Mendel says all right i'll get back to you I th- i'm not sure it was, i think it was the next day he says okay done i'm like what <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, guess I got to go through with it now. <laughs> Everything that I put, he just kept, okay, no problem, no problem, no problem. And uh, it, it was it was amazing. It really was. It was just. It seems like it took a long time. It did. Um, my wife has it calculated probably down to the last day, but it was over 18 years as she waited. Wow. But you know, too, that what was amazing is that when you decided I'm going to go get baptized, and then you put all these obstacles out there. God just gave you the answer just God, like that. God chuckled. Just turn it around for you right there. I love that. Silly bowl of dust. <laughs> 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 but, uh, it, I mean, since then, it's it's. I've looked back now at my life, and I have seen God's hand on my life in so many different ways. I mean, not only from, obviously, the You're here. 9-11. Yeah. You're here. Um, but putting Shirley in my life because mm-hmm. that like I said when when she stopped pushing me trying to get me to give my life to Christ instead of leading by example it was just you know world change um, he put uh, we were renting in New York at the time uh, and the place we were renting was owned by an old Italian guy he didn't need it he bought it for his son it was a two family house and we were there, and I said, look, his wife passed away. I said, Sal, if you're going to sell the house, please give me enough time that we can find a decent apartment someplace. Um, he says, yeah, no problem. I'll, I'll let you know. And that was, you know, I went to go pay the rent one month. The next month, I went to go pay the rent. He says, hey, Jimmy, I'm going to sell the house. All right, how long do I have to find a, another place? He says, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm going to sell it. I'm selling it to you. I'm like, hey, that's great. I don't have a nickel saved. <laughs> but he says, uh, no, no, I'm going to sell it to you cheap. And he sold it to me for he sold it to me for well below market value, so we uh, we were truly truly blessed, um, and it you know it, it was just one of those things. He I'm I'm certain he was led by God to do that, um, and God put him in our path and and had our, our paths crossed. Um, I already explained moving down to Florida was all his doing because if we didn't come to Florida, and if we didn't move to Winter Garden, we didn't encounter Brian. And we wouldn't have known about real life, and I wouldn't have gone to real life, and I wouldn't have gotten saved. Mm-hmm. It's just, I guess, that's pretty much my testimony. <laughs> wow. It's really cool when you when you can sit back and, and connect the dots. We were just using those words the other we the just week. I know. He's just blowing me away because <laughs> I know we're on the right. Right. Uh, uh, Jim's just give us confirmation that we're on, in the right. Connect we're the doing dots. the right thing. Yep. Well, wow, that was a great testimony, huh? Wow. I'll tell you, Jim, I I, I really uh, didn't have a clue what, what the testimony was going to be about. I didn't either. And um, I'm normally not a, at a loss for words, and I I typically talk a little bit more than I, than I did tonight, but um, I just had to sit back and take that in. That's, mm-hmm. that's amazing. That's it's the story that God gave me. Well, your journey's so it wasn't a, anything that I did or mm-hmm. your journey's just begun, brother. I'll tell you. That's right. That's why you're still here. That's right. I'm uh, I'm still learning lessons. Oh, aren't we all? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm learning how to be more still so I can hear what he's telling me, you know, instead of doing my will and doing his will, and I'm still getting that it's still a little cloudy for me. Psalm 46:10. Yeah. 
be still, still and know that I am God. I still think that's the hardest command in the Bible. It is for me. At I least know for that. A, at least for a man. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I, I, I got to. We're fixers, with you, man. We're wired that way. One of one of the biggest obstacles for me giving my life to Christ was my pride. Mm. In 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 every way, shape, and form, um, it, it was just. I look back and it's amazing how prideful I was, and 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 what's funny about it is that growing up, especially without a male figure in my life, I was always self-conscious and never. I, I really lacked confidence until, gosh, probably into my late thirties. Um, so I put up a great front because I had to because the professions that I had chosen, but. Um, it, I don't know. It's just, it, it's amazing how prideful I was, even though I was just. Well, that's amazing because you could have gone, you know, a full throttle the other way because, mm-hmm. you know, that's pro- why you were getting invited to speak places because you're a phenom. I mean, you're a, you're a survivor of, you know, one of the most devastating things really? that has standing, ever happened. Standing probably hundred feet from the destruction and he yeah. still and he was standing there actually mm-hmm. and it just probably just all fall right down the side of him so and now i know to give all the glo- all the glory to him amen absolutely and um, again you're still here for a reason that's mm-hmm. right your journey is just begun, i'm brother. still just enjoying the, enjoying the ride man that's ride awesome <laughs> man well, we're gonna have you back jim in a year if, if that'd be okay and you can sure. update us on what's going on bring shirley yeah. <laughs> we want to meet Shirley. Might be kicking and screaming. I'm not sure how much she likes talking on on radio. Your accountability partner. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, that winds it up for session 33. That was amazing. It was. Yes. If, and if you have any questions, uh, comments, or anything, and just send it to the Gmail, godstories at gmail.com, um, and we'll we'll get it over to Jim. And Or do you have a a website or anything like that, Jim? Do you have no, any way somebody in, could contact you? Or? I'm not we, that important. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Love this guy. You can do the God Stories Radio. Well, yeah, send the Gmail. questions and, and comments to us, and we'll get them over to Jim. No problem, and, and I'm sure he'd be happy to, to answer any questions that you may have. Yeah, like the, I'm thinking, too, you're back working in the first responder mm-hmm. type of field. Back in law enforcement now, yeah. And that's got to be so hard to be working in that line of work and be a Christian and to take that with you to work it, every day. It is. Um, I thought I wanted to be on the front lines again as a, a deputy. And I've felt it literally in the last two or three weeks, um, God just removing that desire from my heart. So it's, uh, I, I don't know how I would have approached it now as a Christian, um, because it was way back when, when I was a, a non-believer that I approached it and there's, there's some conflicts and I, I really, you know, I feel for these guys that are out there dealing with this stuff, um, day in, day out. I think you could help somebody else along those lines too. One of our listeners, maybe. Well, I'm sure someone's out there did. You know it. God's going to give him a new desire. Hallelujah. Yes, sir. With all that encouragement and hope. Well, thank you for uh, sitting down and spending an hour with us. And uh, that wraps it up for Session 33. I'm Fritz. I'm Mike. And I'm Trish. God God bless. bless.